this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Michael Livingston, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host. Andrew Mullen. And uh, Ben Ackley, our awesome podcast uh, host slash producer, is going to be taking a backseat on this one because we have a guest geared up. Um, You may know him from the Pearl Jam episode, but you'll probably know him as one of the coolest English teachers at Central Michigan University, Professor Joe Somers. How you doing, man? <laughs> hey, man, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, not even close. I, I suck, but I, I appreciate the love, man. <laughs> so uh, you want to go take a brief second to introduce yourself? What do you do on campus? Um, how do people know you? I do nothing on campus. I am on a, I, I am on leave due to the pandemic. I mean, I'm I'm still teaching, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen my office in ten months. Uh, I'm a professor of English, doing children's literature, pop culture, and comics. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I do stuff uh, in light of the pandemic. Sure, why not? Uh, whatever. Uh, We'll see what the future brings, but uh, I, I used to do things. Now I'll probably do different things, uh, as will we all. Well, one thing I know you do yeah. is listen to some awesome music. We had you. Oh on yeah, for, tonight is I'm great. <laughs> we we had you on for Pearl Jam. That was a fantastic episode. We kind of picked our favorites from there, reviewed the new record. Um, you know, we just had a great time. And this time we're talking about another one of your favorite bands and a new band for me definitely was it a new band for you too andrew no i was i'd say i'm kind of um i, I guess i'll introduce uh, today's topic uh, sure. sorry joe um but today we're talking about nine snails you'll probably guess from the title of this video podcast how whatever medium you're consuming this episode on um you know um from from my understanding yeah, michael you're you're you were kind of a new you're a newbie to this artist i think i brought them up before you seem kind of like meh you're kind of about is your attitude before i don't know how you feel now i'm interested to hear that um joe from my understanding it sounds like you're like pearl jam the, the hardcore fanboy the expert so to say on this band you know the discography this insanely complicated discography inside and out it seems like uh, and I, and I kind of fall in the middle. I mean, I know certain records. I know, I know some, you know, songs past the singles. Um, you know, I came in a weird time in Nine Inch Nails discography in a way. Um, so, but yeah, I think I'm kind of in the middle between you and uh, you, Michael and Joe. I, I, I'm definitely more than a casual fan, but I'm not to the level of Joe. I think that's safe to say. Joe, how deep does the Nine Inch Nails love go when did it start uh, I, I i mean i got a lot of chafing from the amount of leather and vinyl that you know trent Reznor has put me in but i mean realistically i got a lot of tinnitus from uh from the industrial scene in chicago generally speaking now, i i i adore uh 
I adore Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it's we say it's Nine Inch Nails. It's just Trent Reznor. Uh, we can throw in a whole bunch of other people later, but you know, it's Trent Reznor and you know Alan Mulder and Flood and a variety of occasional producers and folks that helps you know craft his soundscape. But it's Trent Reznor. I mean, it's it's a, it's a little dude from Pennsylvania that used to play tuba and saxophone and turned into uh, I, I don't even know what you call him because he's He's not like this really, really, I mean, he comes off as the dude wearing black and cursing and bringing in massive wall of sound guitar and looping and whatnot. And he's like the anti-Mark Rebier. Uh, but he's really actually, by all accounts, like a, a totally sweet dude um, who was very compassionate and then eventually just busted in on this weird and evolving sound. So I guess I, I, I guess I'm a big fan. I like his aesthetic. I mean, it's just all Johnny cash black, you know, the entire time you never have to worry about like, a, you know, a plaid phase or some stupid thing like that. So yeah, you know, it's, it's hot through the 11, 12, 20 albums, how many halos, whatever you want to go with. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's 89 now. So we're, we're looking at something on the edge of like, God, 31 years. Good Lord. And yeah long time to be spending wearing nothing but black but yeah i'm, I'm with it i love it right and and 30 years since that first record is now when i'm getting into it and i can say right now that this was completely new territory for me and i knew about nine inch nails and it was kind of polarizing from for me because i knew my mom and a couple of her friends were super into trent Reznor's music and uh, you oh, know in too. my teenage years then it's like okay i don't want to listen i don't want to have anything to do with that um, um and then damn. Yeah. i know it's weird right but like uh not at all i just i mean is, is your mom single no i mean that's <laughs> i mean i'm not even being weird it's just that i mean when i hear i mean you're what like 20 something years old yeah just 20 just 20 that hurts that that's a kick in the balls twice your mom <laughs> that means i could like be your like weird crazy ass uncle but that's fine I, i'm good with it it's still hot today and yeah, yeah that's cool you're 20 years old and you're discovering a 30 year old 31 year old band that's that's actually that speaks to his character right i mean it still works through something years later like bowie 50 60 years later or backwards etc so yeah nice well back to you joe hmm. what was what hit you what what was the first track nine inch nails trent Reznor track to hit your ears and and what were you thinking at that moment where were you at what point in your life were you at too all right so 1989 or a little bit beforehand that's uh that's uh whatchamacallit um pretty hate machine right so, I mean, I, I think everyone has to probably have, well, not you all, because you all could have come in at any strange way. But I mean, in, you know, 89, you're at the end of hair metal and whatnot. And just prior to, you know, some of the alt scenes in Portland and Seattle, um, certainly Chicago. Uh, but I mean, that's, it's really much more, uh, I think really pushed out to the coast. Uh, in Chicago, it's, it's, it's more of industrial coming off of new wave. And uh, we didn't reject hair metal because we rejected little. Plus, I mean, it's got big fat guitars. How, what can you hate except for spandex and Aquanet? Um, not that there's anything wrong with either of those things. But Head Like a Hole, okay? Um, head Like a Hole, that's, that's like the resonant song. Um, that's his, you know, it's, I don't know if it's his signature anymore, but I mean, it's certainly, 
I mean, how many taboos does that thing trip over in like literally a stanza? God, money, uh, you know, good no goodness. Uh, it had like a whole black and I'd rather die than give you control. I mean, it's angst. It's there's nothing new there. It's just the sheer, you know, testicular fortitude to just throw that out as your first single swearing and screaming at people. And I mean, you're talking about a song that has two choruses for God's sake. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody was doing it right then. So it's loud. Um, it's got dance beats to it. I mean, the, the rhythm section is part new wave, part dance music and has screaming industrial guitars over it. And some probably he's what, 55 now. So go back 30 years, some 23, 24 year old little skinny dude. And uh, you know, one half of then uh, filter just, you know, raging over it. I mean, it's wild. You hear that on like, God, what was it? I'm trying to think all the way back to 89, like Z95 or some nonsense like that. Just, I mean, it could be on any day. It could be on any station. It could be on the Chicago rock station, the Chicago dance pop station. It was on everything because it just broke borders. And more importantly, it, I mean, it really pissed older people off because you don't talk about half of the stuff. And he just did it. He threw it all out there in one song and said to hell with it. And then you pick up the, the disc or the, then maybe there's the cassette tape because, you know, we're not that far into CDs yet. And, you know, it's not even the most offensive thing out of the, you know, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the album. And it's just great. It's just, it's just angry. If you're young, uh, if you're a teenager, uh, you're approaching the 90s, you're ending the 80s, and you're, you're kicking it in the ass on the way out, it's all right there. I mean, you know, you could hear Terrible Liar or Down in It or Sin, and it's, yeah, it's so cliche now. But it was being established, those cliches were being established and broken down. I mean, it, it's, it, it, and for it's, it's, it's cliche to epiphanies then too, right? Cause you know, you've got Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath breaking those down in the seventies, just the same, but we hadn't been playing with those. We're all listening to Motley Crue and Poison. Okay. And I just embarrassed the hell out of myself, but I'm old. So it's all right. We're good. Um, and all this other nonsense, uh, fun music. And here's this heavy hitting crap. That's got so much depth to it and so much just molecular rage and angst and it's fitting if it's the cultural zeitgeist coming off of like, you know, eight years of Reagan and 
pretty, I don't want to say uh, conservative because we, we didn't realize how conservative we were in Reaganomic years eras, but I mean, it's, it's all this stuff that is just hitting at one time and making and bringing forth uh, bands that have been seated uh, like ministry and whatnot bands that have been around for a bit and you need Depeche Mode just the same and bringing them up to the fore because that was what he was listening to and what was he was being influenced by. So it's just an, it's just an old fashioned grassroots, just, you know, movement happening. And uh, he drags all these other bands to the fore with it. It's great. It's just, it's just wonderful. Right. And back then I didn't know half that shit. <laughs> I just, it was loud and I loved it. Yeah, I mean, lyrical content aside, that the music of it too, just the, the sound of that album was really unique. And I want to ask Andrew what you really thought of that first record, you know, talking about um, well, uh, Pretty Hate Machine. You know, well, well pretty, pretty Hate Machine's interesting to me because, I mean, you mentioned it had like a hole and that's such a... It, I mean, like, I, I think there's three things you, you can t- you can hear in a Nine Inch you could hear in a Nine Inch songs. Either they just go really loud and bombastic and they do that very well. Um, they Trent Reznor is a master at creating atmosphere. I mean, there's a reason why he creates so much, so many, why he's in like half, you know, the movie soundtracks here nowadays because he's able to create atmosphere. Uh, you can hear in songs like uh, Piggy, which will come later on the Downward Spiral. Or you can hear just, just them able to just hammer away on a hook so strong. I mean, when I first heard Head Like a Hole, I didn't remember the title. All I remember was bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you, you deserve. Like that's that's a hook that will never leave you once you first hear it. And yeah, I think that's what all one of the big things that stands out to me about that record. It's just the singles, Terrible Eyes of the Great great track from that record i know you kind of highlighted that one as well joe the, the thing that always gets me a pretty hate machine though is actually the year is released i mean it, it's so I, I i know nine inch nails is not the first band technically to do industrial music i know ministry and uh to to a lesser extent killing joke had been out for a while doing that making that sound um i know electronic music had been around for a lot longer going back to like the 60s but you know to hear something this layered in electronic sounds and hearing this much um you know kind of being brought forward with this uh record you know on you know pretty hate machine it's just so interesting to me that it hadn't even really hit the 90s yet even though this record sounds like the 90s you know it was they were really breaking ground they were ahead of a lot of people and a lot of sounds and now you know you're you know, to combine all this electronic music with uh, rock music. It's just such an interesting thing. And I think you already kind of touched on it, Joe, but like, what was it like to hear something like this? You know, you already kind of touched on, you know, going from hair metal to this, but how weird was it to hear something like this before the nineties even really hit? Well, I mean, bear this in mind. I mean, I mean, you're you're so right with the layering uh, about this and just it and the genre overlap nothing really sounded like what it was. And that was what was so good. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's okay. I'm bear this in mind. I'm in like parochial school um, at the time. And in the first four tracks alone from pretty hate machine, you got the first words are like God and it's not a repudiation. It's just out there being angry. And then you've got, like the fourth track, which is sanctified, and then like five or six, maybe seven is sin. 
and all this stuff just just getting right in everyone's face. Then you hear and understand. I mean, you, you hear uh, "Head Like a Hole" with those just not really sophisticated guitars, and we're not to wall of sound level. That's much further down with the fragile, with just those overwhelming waves. But it's just shred guitar spitting in the face of like people like you know Mick Mars and C.C. Deville and all these weird hair metal. You know, like thinking about what you know guitar solos sound like. They don't do that. You're more inclined to hear like layered uh, drum beats and whatnot, and just this multiplicity of different underutilized elements of a song structure. And that's thrust into the force so he can just rail and scream over it. And the only place you could hear that, and of all places, are like dance clubs. I mean, it's like the idea that if, you, uh, if you've ever seen any of the performances of like Foo Fighters and Rick Astley, and how you could actually play Never Let You Go over Smells Like Teen Spirit and insanely it works. That is almost the analog to Nine Inch Nails. It's, it's thrash metal, it's industrial, but it's, you can dance to it. You want to dance to it. Terrible Lie Down in it. I mean, those are just old fashioned, just, you know, solid dance beat structures that have a lot of good, solid fomenting anger and message. You had mentioned, um, you know, one of the second courses, you know, bow down. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking out. What should I call here? I'm thinking about Terrell Lai and I, I'm losing head like a hole. No, you but, might have um, say real quick. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. the coolest thing I probably read up on Nine Inch Nails is that Closer was being played in dance clubs. Well, like, shit, yeah. That's just crazy. Listen to how basic. I mean, that's we're, we're a few years down the line, but that's just you know, like that's the that's the slowest tempo you're going to get short of hurt. That's just, you know. Bass, snare, bass, snare, layer in a little hi-hat, and then a little bit of bass pops in. But, I mean, it's just him talking quietly, melodically, you know, intimating, well, intimating what it intimates. And it's, yeah, I mean, it just goes there, and, and then it just has this layered in, just these little structures added in. He's doing that all throughout earlier. When you hear that, it sounds dirty. It feels dirty. And that is so damn sexy. It's sexy, you know, metal. It doesn't make any sense. You hear Metallica, you don't get things sex. You think, you know, anger, rage, you think aggression, you think movement. You hear this, whether you're hearing Joy Division or whether you're hearing, you know, uh, what you call it, any of the precursor, certainly not in ministry, you don't think about this, but... Trent Reznor is understanding so much of the bizarre nature of anger and sex and romance, but not necessarily as it's been done. He's deconstructing all of it 
and just foisting it into your face. And it's on popular radio where it does not belong, but it is because the people want to hear it and nobody knows what to do with it. So what do they do back in then they would bleep out things that didn't make them happy. So, I mean, okay, you hear some this beautiful, simple little couplet, Andrew just dropped out, bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you deserve. That is just such a simple little rhyme structure, but you don't get to say that in 1989. I mean, you have to understand how repressive we are coming off of in terms of the era. You don't get to, you know, you don't get to go and uh, go, go uh, like second uh, verse structure. God money's not looking for the cure. God money's not concerned about the sick among the pure. God money, let's go dancing on the back of the bruise. God money's not one to choose. You don't get to say any of that, period. And it's, uh, and it's catchy. And that makes it even worse. It's, it, it's everything that, you know, people my age back then would be just, you know, like, ugh. You can't see the face I'm making, but it's not a pretty one. Like, you can't say that. Now you can't say anything but that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wrong. It's hot. It's in the face of all that 90 or that, forgive me, that 80s. I'm losing my decades too. The 80s pablum. You know, if you think about like Bon, I mean, yeah, I'm going to throw some names that are going to be kind of discordant, even though Bon Jovi, they're legit now in their 60s. But um, you think about like Bon Jovi, you think about all these bands that were kind of, you know, I mean, the, the the things we look about in the 80s and get a little bit grossed out by, even though, you know, if you want to be honest, like slippery one, what that's really a legitimate piece of rock business. But if you hold it up against Metallica or if you hold it up against even ACDC or uh, Motley, uh, yeah, Motley Crue, because I mean, these are bands that are literally they're talking about sex, but there's not much great depth there. It yeah, it doesn't really sing the same way. Okay, now drop Nine Inch Nails right at the at the kind of the, the, the decrease in the slope of that, just where there, there can be ingress, and it destroys all of it. It's all just wrecked. I mean, this, I mean, the, the entire Pretty Hate Machine project, it may have been grunge, so-called, that ended hair metal, but it was Pretty Hate Machine that took an axe to it. Right. And just literally began to just just cut it out from the rut. Right. And then, of course, I mean, one of the great tragedies, if you'll forgive me, again, I have to forgive myself, is that if it wasn't for Nirvana and Butch Vig's production, we would be holding head like a hole up where Smells Like Teen Spirit is. This, Smells Like Teen Spirit took all the air out of, air, air, out of the room had like a whole halon machine. That was <laughs> Andrew, do you believe that that it it could have been Nine Inch Nails instead of Nirvana? I don't know. Like, it, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell if it was. I mean, I mean, what? I I think everyone kind of like wrongly paints, um, you know, smell like smells like Teen Spirit bringing in overnight. Granted, I wasn't there, but if you just look up, just even just even just chart positions, what was charting before? I mean, yeah, the, the, it's wrongly painted that it smells like Teen Spirit created this overnight tr- like transition from, you know, all the you know the sugary pop and hair metal that was before in into that new sound. There was there was other things that was charting before. I mean, Facelift was selling pretty by. Alice in Chains was selling pretty decently well, you know. Um, there, there was lots of bands like Mud Honey and Mother Love Bone that were kind of creating that, that, that 
kind of creating the kind of music as well in the Seattle scene that um, didn't really hit with, with any sort of national attention until Nirvana came in, but they were still doing strong local scenes in underground, in, in, you know, the underground, you know, music magazines. Uh, and I imagine Nine Inch Nails is probably with that too. Um, if, if they would have been that instead of Nirvana it would have been more gradual. Um, I, I just don't know. Like to me, like, I don't know if Nirvana, sorry, not starting Nirvana. I don't know if Nine Inch Nails is as universal as Nirvana could have been because it smells like Teen Spirit, even though we still don't really know what those lyrics are about. I mean, you could def, you can get some general teen angst from those lyrics. You can get that from Nirvana sound. I mean, I mean, Kurt's screaming is just so cathartic in many ways. And I don't know if you can really get as the same stuff with Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Don't get me wrong. I like Trent Reznor a lot. I think he's a really interesting guy. I think he's created some really interesting stuff over the years. But I don't know if that could have hit the mainstream the way Nirvana could have, because I don't know. It's 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 intentionally darker than Nirvana. It's intentionally grosser. Well, not, I don't want to say grosser. Intentionally more unsettling, at least to to some people when it comes to the whole, you know, sexualized aspects of this music, you know, and the lyrics, I just don't know if that would have been as popular with people overall as Nirvana was. So that, I, I, I'm not discrediting. I think Joe makes some good points there, but I, that's a tough pill for me to swallow to suggest that even though I really like Nine Inch Nails, that they could have really been in the same place Nirvana was. So, well, the thing is, is that, I mean, I think you have to look at the precursors. I mean, you mentioned a good number of them, I mean, some of the other ones that uh, Mud Honey is the center of um, it's the, that's the center of that Seattle scene, Portland area scene. But if I get Portland, I'm going to push to Minnesota, which I'm going to. One of the ones people forget is uh, Soul Asylum, which pushes way into the 80s. And Dave Perner has I mean, Dave Perner is one of the people that really got elevated as a result of Pearl Jam and uh, uh, Nirvana, certainly uh, with a lot of other bands. I mean, Mud Honey. Uh, smash or not smashing pumpkins forget that i even mentioned that i was gonna go screaming trees smashing pumpkins that's another unfortunate podcast to happen the great tragedy of billy corp <laughs> and there's a lot of wrestling in there nevertheless it's one of those things where i think i can tell you that when um smells like teen spirit hits the air is sucked out of music everywhere it's gone everything it eats up everything because there are, I mean, never mind's a perfect record. I mean, our album, forgive me. It is literally, there's not a poor track there. It's all there. It literally takes up all of the oxygen. It's part of what likely killed him. Just trying to deal with all that. Reznor falls into a lot of bad habits, uh, inter- including alcoholism and pills, but not to mention creating Marilyn Manson, which that's one of the ones you don't have to forgive him for uh, <laughs> except for the Starfuckers video that was actually legitimate worth someone's time back in the 90s but nevertheless uh, I, I think but if you if you tr- look at the trajectory I mean you've three solid tracks off Pretty Hate Machine that beget the EP Broken Broken drops Wish Wish is Wish is uh, 92 so you're in the same basic moment between when Wish uh or Broken's uh, 92, Wish comes out a little bit beforehand. It's in that same moment and it has almost that same sort of structure built into a little bit faster tempo uh, than Smells Like Teen Spirit, but it's all there. The weird collapse in the sound in the middle of uh, a song, the the weird tempo shifts, the weird guitar, the the live drums that, you know, Dave Grohl on one end, some nameless cat on the other. I don't remember 
who the drummer for Wish is, because most of the times it's Trent Reznor just with a keyboard. They're very similar melodically, but as you mentioned, it's so much darker and I don't want to say less accessible, but certainly more problematic for people. It smells like Team Spirit had the had the, the great, great mind to just be, I don't want to say incomprehensible because that's doing it a disservice. It's it's highly interpretable. I mean, yeah, one of the great choruses ever, and no one has any flipping idea what it means, including half of the words in there. And when you can't interpret it, you really can't rail against it. You just got to go and say, your own experiences with it, really. I yeah, mean, yeah, they, and it makes it easier in a way. I, I, that's what Dave Grohl does a lot with his with his writing. Um, you know, he he when he writes his lyrics, you know, at least in any Foo Fighters track, some of them are too generic to to their detriment. But look at any of his lyrics; they're they're, they're generic enough where they can kind of mean anything, but well-written enough where it's easy to kind of fill with your own experiences. You know, there's actual care put in there. And that's what, and I, I think that's, you can hear a lot of that in Kurt's lyrics. And again, I think which is why I think they gave him a lot of universal appeal. There's not a lot of ambiguity with Closer. I mean, there's not a lot of ambiguity uh, with physical, you know, or something like that. Like, you you know what you're getting there or you know it, it's either very politically charged you know very you know charged against religion sexualized you know there, there are you get a clear grasp and i'm not saying that's wrong i think a lot of trent's uh, lyrics are great particularly when they go politically charged march of the pigs for instance i think it's a great example of that it's one of my oh, favorite yeah. I get you guys on track here a second and we can start a conversation on uh on the downward spiral because we're talking about lyrical content we're talking about darkness and now we can probably open up a conversation on you're not leaving broken behind because i mean there's no bad it's an ep but hell i mean 20 it's basically years. an album with its length really yeah well, that's what i mean if you're gonna call bad witch and they did call that a record well yeah broken's not an ep but wish last happiness and slavery physical they're all perfect tracks i mean it's if you put broken with fixed and you don't really need to but that's another i mean that gets into the halos and whatnot but it's one of those things where you're completely right there is no ambiguity there is just fucking anger there is i you will un, you know what you don't i mean and it's pointed so much directly at folks as a rep, uh, result of the that more conservative 80s he doesn't re, he ha, he has a great capacity to write 
He really does. But Reznor wants to be very clear as what you say, and he wants people to understand that when he's being offensive, you are right to be offended. And let me make sure you understand the things I'm absolutely trying to make you get upset about. Kurt really didn't, Kurt was a poet. But I mean, if you want to jump into Don Rose Sproul, it, it comes right out of it. Andrew mentioned, uh, not here, but earlier when we were talking about it, that's supposed to be a concept album that's completely derailed by a man's own addictions. And it wasn't helped by the fact when he moved out to, um, I think it was in New Orleans at the time, so he just puts himself into a place where he can get a hold of considerably more addicting quantities and he loses the things that he did. And that's good because I don't want to see that particular concept record. It's so much more watching him just channel his own. I mean, it's right there in track one. It's Mr. Self-Destruct. It's literally everything he tried to do falls apart. So whatever, what I got is what I got. And it's great. As long as you're okay with watching a guy fall apart and enjoying it. And I am. So, sorry, Michael, I do want to let you talk, but I, I do want to, want to jump off that with you, Joe, because you're, you're right. We were talk, talking a bit. I'd always, I, I guess, assumed, but based on what I read, I, I kind of, my understanding for this album, that it was indeed a concept record in, in a way, at least it told a very loose story. And and, and, and grant, granted, I don't know much of, you know, about Trent's writing, stop writing during this record and his personal life. It sounds like that not exactly what it became, but I, I will still stand by the fact that I think this record does indeed tell a story and I think a very clear one. And I think it's executed rather well, even if he wasn't all there um, due to certain choices. I mean, if you look at kind of the, the outline of this record and how it follows and just the name of it, down the downward spiral, I think it's a perfect one. This is a man clearly spiraling into insanity. I mean, you mentioned Mr. Soft struct i mean i think that's a great opener to this record but if you go down the list you know you, you start you, you get songs like piggy heresy march of the pigs you know stuff that's very politically charged and very you know or getting charged against religion and then you start get to songs like the ruiner the becoming you know um you see this slow transformation of a man who's starting to, I don't want to say gets radicalized, but kind of really falls into his darkness. You get big men with a gun 
closer. You can kind of start to piece together a story that this man's getting violent. And eventually it's kind of implied that he unfortunately commits suicide at the end of in the album with, with hurt. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's what I've always interpreted from this record. Maybe I'm, I'm incorrect on that, but that's, that's the, that's my general understanding that, you know, I don't know if the characters ever named, you know, the, the narrator of these songs, but that the narrator kind of, that's the general path this narrator, this, this narrator follows. Is, is that a good sum up what you say, Joe? Uh, you know, I wouldn't give it a character because, I mean, you mentioned Foo Fighters and Color and the Shape coming around at the same time. That's, we call that a concept record. It's totally a Dave Grohl biography of the disillusion of his relationship that epitomizes, or I shouldn't say epitomizes, it uh, comes up to the fore with Everlong in the exact same way as you mentioned with Reznor Hurt comes up to the fore. That's, of course, the last track. There's a big difference. There's, there's a little bit of a, uh, a downward movement in a color and the shape. This hurt is where that album ends, and it's just literally showing that, oh, <laughs> well, are we going to get a fragile? I completely agree that it has the bones of what would be a concept record, but the concept is Trent Reznor. I mean, this thing is, I mean, with Peggy March to the Pigs, there was one track I can't remember that didn't make it uh, because he couldn't quite pull it together. Um, He was definitely moving toward it. And then like any good self-destructive hero, if you want, if that's a word to use in this one, he can't make it happen, but there's too much content there. I mean, you look at self-destruct. Uh, I mean, it's 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 perfect. I mean, it's a perfect opener. It's it's high precision. It's I mean, if you listen to it sonically, it's nothing but just uh, high precision, uh, high precision percussion, you know. And it goes over and over. I'm the voice inside your head. I'm the lover in your bed. I'm the sex that you provide. I'm the hate you try to hide. The the, the lyric I'm not adding in there is, and I control you. It's all about addiction. It's all about falling apart. And of course, as it goes further down to one of the greatest songs of the 90s, one of the greatest songs probably in the last 40 or 50 years, whether it's been because it got reappropriated by Johnny Cash, who made it into something completely different, or because it was 
in its own perfection back in what is that? Uh, I want to say ninety? What is the Downers file? Ninety four? I think have to be. Um, you know, it's about a guy inching ever so close to the end. Uh, I mean, it's it summed up in that little, you know, it's summed up all throughout. I mean, I wear this crown of shit upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I can't repair. I mean, it's it's such simple lyrical structure. It's got no pretense. I mean, and then go a little bit further into what have I become my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. Again, it's, I mean, this is, I mean, you, you mentioned why, why did Reznor, why did, I mean, this was, of course, the, if, you know, if um, Pretty Hate Machine was pushing him up, this is what elevates him to a point he's not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Because you're bearing your soul, you're literally bearing your soul and people are, are literally eating it up and it's on popular radio and it's all pain. It's not supposed to be, I mean, it kills Kurt Cobain it damn near kills him, but he just steps back for a second. And of course, what comes as a result is the fragile. I, but I mean, it's, I can't, I can honestly say, you know, in education, you give away a little bit of yourself every semester, but this is a guy laying out the course and trajectory <laughs> as short as it may be of his life. And then hearing people singing it back to him. I can't imagine the psychological headspace of that. That sounds like misery to hear yourself crying out. Just, I mean, I don't think these are calls for help. I think these are, as you say, a confession to, of the end. Nothing would have made more sense than if this was the end of Trent Reznor, if this literally led to a very, very dark place. It didn't, thank God. But by the same token, I can completely see hearing this played back at you. I mean, Closer, yeah, Closer's sticky and wrong, and that was what's so great about it, watching David Fincher's video, beginning of their collaborations together. Yeah, that's wonderful, but at the end of this album, there's this horrible thing, this beautiful misery, and it's still beautiful. I mean, but what you're looking at is the beauty, beauty and horror, because this is somebody's end. This is the thought process of everything draining away, whether he swallows a bullet or pills or whatever he does to be the end. I mean, and, and there, there's no reprieve. I, if I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself, I would find a way. That is literally the antithesis of the record. It literally says, I wouldn't do this. I would keep me. I would not give myself away, but this is the end of the album and possibly more. I mean, this is, I mean, if you want to talk about, I mean, I don't even know what kind of punctuation because it's not a period and it's not a exclamation point. It's almost like an ellipsis, but there's nothing that comes afterwards. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, oh, I, it's, it gives me chills thinking about that moment because 1994, of course, is the year we lose Kurt Cobain and we get this track out uh, a bit further along and it was a resonant sort of like just, you know, if, if you had a pit in your stomach when you found out that Kurt Cobain died, I mean, when you listen to this thing popularly on, all, on the stations, which is, again, the, that's the biggest thing is that all of this music, which today couldn't find 
whatever popular radio is anymore. This wouldn't find a market for it. It's on all of the popular stations, which makes no sense to anybody because like, what am I listening to? It's gorgeous. But most of this, uh, most of the song is acapella until that massive influx of guitar and boom at the end. And it's just, it sounds like, you know, a supernova, an explosion, and that's it. It's done. It's over. No more. And then you just get nothing for around three years, at which point you're like, or not three years, forgive me, I, God, Fragile's like 99. You get remixes, of course, further down the spiral. You get to know that he's okay, but he's not generating new stuff. He's remixing old stuff. It's, 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 it's gorgeous. It's, it's like such a, it's an ominous threat. Which is, by the way, this is before, you know, you waited like 12 years for a Guns N' Roses record that was terrible or however many years we're still waiting on detox from, you know, Dr. Dre. I mean, to go five years after a massive hit with radio silence, generally speaking, that's that's rough. We can see him, but he comes back much, much different. Yeah. So how does he come back in the next couple of records? Because from what I understand, he's still in a pit, right? Even after... Uh, the downward spiral we get this story but it's not complete yet so uh, where does it go from there <laughs> it comes out in terms of remixes i mean it i mean the thing about resner is i mean resner culture if we can call it that or nine inch nail culture is that you know it's it, it is dance and it is all about taking things and playing with them sonically and as the and, and, and i mean the thing that i would call resner more than anything else because i mean when we talk about nine inch nails there's a, a rotating cast of people robin fink and you know touring drummers and whatnot but it's it's him so he's a sound architect right he he goes in and he takes his stuff and he comes out with what he wants the thing to look like but he still has all those masters and he can take them and he can go play with them so broken head fixed and, you know, uh, what you call it, um, the downward spiral has further down the spiral and we can go and continue to just mess with things. And it's not generating new content, but it is new content. It's remixed content. By the time we get to, I mean, if we look at the idea that each album proper is a response to the album before. So, okay, Pretty Hate Machines, very dancey. Uh, downward spiral is, or if you include broken, much more aggressive. The downward spiral is very, very personalized and interior. You end up with a different set of production and a different approach with a double album uh, in the fragile, and it comes out significantly different. Live drums, wall of sound guitars. Al- I, I, I believe this is an Alan Molden. It sounds like an Alan Molder production. Uh, a, a significantly different aesthetic and not one that necessarily says, ooh, pick me up. Um, remember, the first single off of The Fragile out of all of those p- hits that could have been is The Day the World Went Away. This little like minute and a half bit of piano and, oh, w- w- where were we going with this? And where we went with it uh, shortly thereafter was we're in this together, which is just grinding guitars and slowed down heavy drums and him. I mean, again, there, this is him being a little bit more lyrical and poetic perhaps, but not much more. And oddly, we begin to see if there's a triptych uh, I, that's formed with Closer, 
he ups the tempo and brings in a little bit more dance and you get into the void, which will later become alone. And they all belong to the same subgenre of categories of music. Like again, music, you can, you know, I mean, if closer was music, you can, you know, I, I'm going to try to watch my mouth. There's a 20 year old around here. Uh, and, but you get something a little bit more, you know, not necessarily, you know, cleaned up, but something a little bit more radio friendly and into the void and alone. But it still has that basic, you know, structure that gets just sped up tempo-wise right. until it's really sped up with the loan. It's just, it, it's, it's, it really, I mean, this is where I have to go and I, I'm going to just, you know, recant what I said and agree with um, Andrew because there is, there's a sonic story being told here. And it's just basically him saying, you know what I did la la that last time? Whatever. This is the new thing. I don't, I, I, that, that, that's before. This is the right now. So Joe, the thing is that it was highly rejected. Hmm? Well, if, you, if you don't mind, let's go around the horn and collect some opinions on the fragile real quick, starting yeah. with uh, just so we have some other opinions. What do you think, Andrew? This is a long one. But yeah. Me, this is um, the one that kind of explodes, right? A little bit, yeah. You know, um, you know, the fragile, again, is like, I don't have much else to add, really. I mean, Joe, Joe tackled pretty much everything. I mean, it is a response record to, but yeah, it's basically a response record to the downward spiral, you know. Um, I mean, it is a bit of a, you, you still hear, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like the downward spiral. The fragile is a little hard to listen to because you can hear a man breaking down basically in the middle of this. And you still get some of that here with the fragile. You know, the day the world went away is a great example. That's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that one because that's honestly probably one of my favorite tracks on here. Yeah, I, again, you know, I mean, Fragile, it's, it's a double record. It's hard to get through, but, you know, I think it's, from my understanding, and, Joe, you, know, you can probably, you know, quickly kind of uh, confirm this or not. It's often, like, considered an underrated masterpiece, basically, by many. I mean, obviously, the Downward Spiral is the one that gets noticed by everyone and maybe pretty hate machine as well but the fragile kind of seems to be that like one that's just under the surface of everyone's attention correct yeah it's because i mean the general rule of rock and roll with very rare exception is if you're going to do a double album just don't you don't have the material and that's where i mean yeah there is one perfect album between left and right on these two discs and if you take those, you lose that narrative, but it's a perfect album. But I mean, amidst, I mean, okay, so you hear somewhat damage in the day that the world went away, the frail, the wretched, we're in this together, the fragile. That's a perfect construct. But then the second half of that disc, you know, you've got a rocker and no, you don't. You've got a few things that are just sonically, you know, adventurous, but not needed. And then you go to the next disc, which gets a little bit sexier within the void or where is everybody or, of course, the one that, I mean, if you ever listen, I mean, turn up Starfuckers Incorporated, try to find it, particularly when you look at the video for it. Nobody would play that ever. And I swear to you, there's an engineered, I mean, they even took out the, the interpolated track um, it's, it's the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the little, uh, it, it, there's a direct reference to Carly Simon's You're So Vain. You're So Vain, I bet you think the song's about you. Don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you. When they turned it into Star Suckers so it can get airplay, because it's too good of a song not to play. 
they had to not only did they have to take you know the fuck out they had to put suck in and it's not resner it's a constructed su over the fu so that you could get that in there but resner would give them something to not offend carly simon's gentle virtues which she did sign off if i remember and it was something like um Overplay it, and soon you'll make us forget about you, won't you? It's just as good. It's it's a secondary thing that allowed it to get played so that the song could go out there. But I mean, when you take that, if you, you're taking Carly Simon, I don't know how if you guys are too young to know Carly Simon, but Carly Simon has about as much business in a Nine Inch Nails song as I do. And I can't even complete that metaphor, uh, you know, at like wherever the youth hang out in the post and or pre pandemic, whatever. Uh, yeah, it doesn't belong in there. And it's perfect. It's just it's more of him doing wrong things. I mean, it's Carly Simon in a song called Starfuckers Incorporated. anyone that really needed it. You could grab three or four tracks, throw them onto the left side of that disc, and you have another pretty hate machine or another, and by way of, of success, another critically perfect album. Most critics just said things about 40 minutes too long, but you know, they're missing the point. They're missing everything that would become as a result of the ambient records that got released in the interim between other projects is the fact that as Andrew mentioned, he can, he gets mood, and part of the making the, the of making the fragile happen is him understanding that after he has a big release of emotion, we'll have a quiet section, or yes. we'll have an angry section. There won't be many any words. He's still working the keyboards. I mean, I mentioned he's a tuba player and um, saxophonist. Uh, a saxophonist, but he's a classically trained pianist. Mm-hmm. And like most classically trained musicians, he can play pretty much anything he wants. And sometimes he doesn't want to scream. He just wants to go and let the, he wants to let the symphonic nature of the disc come out. He's literally in many cases sound uh, tracking his own, you know, albums. And we didn't get that at the time. It was skip tracks. It was film material. It was never any of that. It was all part of the mood of the thing. And it just took us a while to catch up to where he was going. And again, it took David Fincher, who's playing ghosts through so, uh, social network, just as fill material. And then he says, you know what? I should just have this guy go and actually come in and actually do a soundtrack for my movie. And it's perfect. Right. Can I uh, real quick reflect on the fragile before we continue? Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to put in my opinions here. Cause for me, this is when I finally got it. 
and it was definitely the song uh we're in this together uh put it together for me like just the loud explosions for me i'm i i started to realize i'm gravitating more towards the nine inch nails harsh side the explosive side the side where you know trent is angry more than like you know, self-reflecting and depressed. I, it, I guess the, the dumb way to put it would be like, I like the, the stuff that makes my ears explode rather than the bleep bloop stuff. You know what I mean? Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like 70 something percent of it. That's fair. Right. Uh, right. And this is the album that did it for me. And it was, it wasn't just that it was, it, I had tracks that did that for me on the A side and the B side. And it was just kind of like, I view this record as the perfect um, kind of grab bag for any sort of nine inch nails fan, whether you're more like me or you lean on the other side of the camp, any, any rainbow of emotion that you want to get from Trent, you'll, you'll probably find on the fragile. Am I right, Joe? Yeah, no, that's, that's really on point. It was one of the biggest, I mean, I will never forget uh, Richard Patrick uh, from from Filter, a band I actually like against any conventional wisdom, going out and because <laughs> he's thrown out of Nine Inch Nails as a, a touring guitarist, a pretty hate machine. He never let that go. He forms Filter, and it's around this time that his second Filter album which has a name. I forget what it is at this point. Uh, and uh, the fragile come out and he's going out and talking about how much more focused it is and how much more, you know, it's here and it's part of the right now. And he's like, and you know, I, he, he went and he dismissed me, but now look at that mess that he put out the fragile and you look at, you know, my title of picture is what it was called. Uh, and uh, our title of record, forgive me. Uh, and uh, he's like, now I outsell him. And I'm sure there's a point that Trent Reznor who probably otherwise just said, yeah, okay, whatever, probably turned and audibly belched because of that. He's like, dude, it's not about sales. And by the way, for the record, okay, you went platinum, but you're not smart enough to understand that a double record, when you sell a million copies, well, the record industry of America calls that a double platinum. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that provokes emotions, and it was critically... It wasn't critically reviled. It was popularly misunderstood because you have something that's damn near a hundred minutes long. And if you remove a lot of the 
interstitial, let's call it that material. You don't have that. You've got something closer to about an hour, which is about a length of a, an album, a, a long one. And uh, people thought that's what you need. And you could just, you know, that we're, we're looking at iTunes time now. So you can lift, like literally lift tracks and build your own playlist and redo the fragile as a one disc thing. Mm-hmm. And people were doing that, but they were missing the point. And I mean, that, that's such an arrogant thing to say is you're missing the point. If you want the rock, you've got the rock. But if you take out the pause, well, you're not getting the entire story. It's like literally, it, it would be like literally going through Star Wars, pulling out the really great, like, you know, lightsaber battles and throwing the rest away as just unnecessary. Right. It's like, no, that's not how that works. I mean, it's part of like what makes, you know, the Mandalorian so good is those little quiet moments as much as, you know, the pew pew. I mean, there, yeah, there's hardcore pew pew. You blow up a lot of Death Stars on just because of its length on the Fragile, and live, it's it's amazing because it can be done live. I mean, so much of what he did, and uh, one of the perfect tracks that's not on a proper album, and he hates the track because there's a, a little middle piece that just felt like gluttony to him. Uh, the perfect drug from. Uh, uh, that's from the Lost Highway soundtrack from David Lynch. That's a perfect song that he never plays live. In fact, I remember the first time he played, the last time he played it live was just a couple of years ago because you can't play it live. It's got like, you need five drummers. It's like an Imagine Dragons thing. You need five different drummers and you need some keyboard folks and some strings and a, a you know, a, a, like a duo of ladies to bring in the thing like that. And it's ridiculous. You can't do it justice. Well, Joe, because well, it's well, a sonically architectured thing. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy and he doesn't like it as a result. You can play everything in the Fragile live, loud, aggressively, Everyone leaves with hearing damage and a lot of emotions spent. And that's a band. But Nine Inch Nails isn't a band. Okay. It's a dude. And now it's two, of course, with Atticus Ross. But at the time, it was Trent Reznor. And that's one of the things I mean, we, don't, we might not have commented enough on. This is one cat crafting. Everyone, I remember when everyone talked about how uh, the White Stripes with Elephants sounded like a band because it's just drums and guitar. Okay, well, Nine Inch Nails is a guy with a buttload of talent making massive sound. Dave Grohl was the perfect analog because Dave Grohl can make a Foo Fighters record by himself, but he prefers to do the band. The Fragile was the first record I think that truly felt like Reznor was giving away a little bit of that real privatized space to others to make noise. And that is growth by itself. Yeah. Joe, let's, as we're reaching the hour mark here, I want to go more in depth with you personally. You've seen these guys live before. You've seen Trent live, right? Yeah, it hurts. (laughs) It hurts? Why does it hurt? Your ears hurt. Um, You get, I mean, if you go to a Nine Inch Nails concert, you're going to get biffed around. I mean, you don't play Wish quietly. People aren't just standing there like, you know...
there are no hipsters at a nine inch nails show. Maybe there are now. I, my tinnitus is bilateral and intractable. I can't do that anymore. And I'm 44 years old, with like two hernias that I can't get operated on. So I, it's a bad idea. Anyway, you know, you're 20 years old or whatever, or 18 or have you, and, and you go to the show with this wild aggression and, you know, this serious vibe and you get like, they're not mosh pits anymore. They're, they're literal, like just, you know, I, I can't even think it's like a prison riot. And it's great. You don't care. You get hit in the face. Whatever. What did you expect was going to happen? You throw, I mean, you like throw your arms. They hit somebody. Somebody hits you. You slam dance. It's, it's a thing of its time. And I get that. I mean, people, I don't remember ever hearing about people getting hurt. I don't think anybody had any other ideas about it. And it is loud. So, I mean, imagine getting hit with, you know, these massive strobe lighting effects that are in time and in tune with all this grinding, pounding sound and, you know, moving around in a circle of vortex of sweaty, stanky bodies going around because everyone's wearing, you know, tight leather and whatnot. And it's hot. It's so damn hot because there are too many bodies and if things are getting thrown, you're getting hit, but you have so much adrenaline going that it's just this mismatch. I couldn't tell you the year. I couldn't tell you how old I was. I couldn't tell you. I don't even remember where. I mean, it's someplace in the Chicagoland area, and it was one of the the larger clubs. And I guess if I if I tracked it down, I could probably get it down to a few. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a good idea. But it was great. It was it was it it it, it was amazing. Imagine just. I don't know, maybe it's just the disaffectedness of, the, of 2020 and, you know, that that's sort of kind of like a very pregnant pause where we don't want any more things. But as I reflect back or back upon that, it was just such wild emotions. I mean, my 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 heart's racing. You know, I'm literally thinking about this stuff. I'm literally my teeth hurt. I'm pretty drunk. Um, not right now, but I can I, I can get there in my head um, and I can remember most of it but I don't know how I got there and I have no idea how I got home yeah. or when I got home. I remember being sore a lot. And if this sounds like it's a bad thing, it wasn't, it was wonderful. It was amazing. I am so not, this is, this is not what your professorial CV looks like. It's like, yeah, I used to go and I used to throw down with industrial bands and whatnot and, you know, get the crap beaten out of me, all five foot six of me, 150 pounds soaking wet. But yeah, yeah. it was great. It was just, it, it, it was mayhem. But the thing about it, I want to put down on record, there was nothing malicious about it ever. It, it, it was, I, I, I'm not going to go and say it was love. If any of you have seen the concert footage from Woodstock 99, God bless the internet. You know, there was nothing angry there about them throwing mud and shit at the band. They were there for it. It was just like, it was like going feral and it felt so pure. Right. I mean, it just felt, it, it felt literally like a thing you wanted to do. There was no disaffect. You didn't go to a Nine Inch Nails show to feel disaffected. You didn't go there to feel cerebral. You didn't go there. You, you went to it and you went there to literally feel things until your feeler just broke. Mm -hmm. And then you came home and maybe a week later you felt like you'd go, go work again or something like that. 
if you tried to go to work after such a thing, that didn't go well. One, you couldn't hear. <laughs> well, I Pretty can tell sure you. He, he broke a lot of things in my head, but that's fine. Right. Well, I can tell you, Andrew and I have been to a few shows like that. So we understand. Good. I mean, while you're young, I'm, I'm going to tell you right, right now, my, my hearing broke when I was 28. And that's a little bit early for that sort of thing. But uh, going on like six, 16 or so years since, you get used to it after a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't know who, I'm, who did you see that left you like that? I don't know, Andrew. Who have you seen that's left you like that? You know who my answer would be. Um, I actually couldn't guess off the top of my head. Uh, oh, no, Dino. Dino. Dino yeah. Jr., of yes. course. Well, you you sat in the front row right next to like, do you, do you Were you standing in front of the amps on that? I was, really I was standing in front of Lou Barlow's amps. We're talking about Dinosaur Jr., Joe. Yeah. You probably know who they are. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one of my favorites. That's uh, I, did, I wanted to ex- – I had this dumb idea that I would experience the – full range of their sound by not wearing earplugs oh, into one of the loudest yeah in, in the front row of one of the oh, loudest bands in existence. Cool. Um yeah good luck with your 20. Yeah I, I mean go to an audiologist man get that get that checked out see how far those you know those little hairs on your ear have bent like that. No, no that's bad. I mean I want to I want to like give you you know for those who are about to rock I salute you but I you know as many years through tinnitus as I have been, I'm really happy that they actually have a treatment for it once you can get to like Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but by the same token, yeah, when you're young, feeling the noise, that synesthetic effect, that that is a thing. When you're old, no, you want to actually still be able to hear your kids when they're calling to you. And, you know, when I'm in class and grandpa can't quite hear the kids anymore. Right. Yeah, that, that Andrew, that's what fantastic. About, what, Andrew, what about you? What's your uh, I'm sure I... I'm sure the Foo Fighters left me like that. I, I, I don't have any drastic, as many memories as drastic after concerts as Joe described, but I'm sure the Foo Fighters left me like that. Um, it was well worth it, though, because I will still argue the best live band you can see, despite yeah. the, those ticket prices keep going up. Well, when concerts are indeed happening. Um, but, you know, kind of leaving the space of, you know, live concerts, Joe, I kind of want, I kind of want to like, um, I don't want to go album by album again, but we, we spent a lot of time talking about the 90s material. <laughs> For the most part, that's pretty much a lot of the tier that people remember, you know, I mean, I pretty hate machines, technically 89, but whatever, it's basically the 90s at that point. Um, you know, you know, I don't hear certain records. I don't hear about as much, you know, kind of going after, I know it's harder to kind of pick an, define an era of 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 Trent Reznor because there's just such large gaps between all of his releases but uh these is out album releases but when looking at it we'll we'll say post 2000 yeah. how would you sum up like how would you sum up that like that material compared to um you know the 90s material what are the highlights you'd recommend for anyone who's not familiar with 90s oh so much of i mean if you if you're missing i mean yes okay between you know pretty hit machine the downward spiral and the the fragile that's a 10-year period of near perfect recording but you can't sleep on with teeth or year zero the slip was given away to people people will look at the record sales for the slip but they'll forget that he gave that album away for free why because he felt like it. The Slip is a great record. This our album, forgive me. It's got track after track after track of good stuff, but 
All right. With teeth, we've thrown Dave Grohl's name around like, you know, five, six times. You mentioned the Foo Fires, which they are the greatest rock band of the last 20 years, particularly live. They just are. That is a concert that goes on. And it's amazing. Dave Grohl gets a call uh, from Trent Reznor, who says, I'd like to put something out with live drums. All the drums on, uh, with one exception, on year zero are Dave Grohl. Uh, you, 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 and it's, it's a real simplified old form. Remember I mentioned, um, uh, uh, Nirvana, he wanted that old school Dave Grohl, you know, Kurt stepping on him a little bit, keeping him down from getting too exotic and like, you know, not like probot levels of like, you know, death metal. Well, Reznor wanted that sound as well. And you get it. And you, you listen to with teeth and with teeth has, a lot of serious funk to it and all that funk you know the hand that feeds only uh the collector uh you know what you are uh, all all these things that's all grow and he's building over that It's wonderful. It's not as critically loved because it moves back in form, but it begets year zero. Year zero is the concept album he always wanted to make. It's an album that's a story, that's a video game that, I mean, okay, if you have Pretty Hate Machine talking about God every other track or talking about sanctifying things and talking about heresy and later on, okay, cool. You have with year zero, in that game, in mentioned in one song, this concept of a hand coming down, crushing things in a repressive totalitarian American theocracy called The Presence, that by the end of the album is literally, I mean, it's an album that by the way the story uh, line goes, it's been sent back through some sort of like time slip or whatever on, through the internets, because that was a thing back in like 2007 or so, I think something like that we were still young enough that we could believe this nonsense. 
And, you know, you get tracks of this ghostly hand smashing people and you get, you know, back to Chicago, the Cubs being just decimated or Wrigley Field being decimated. It's this, it's this beautiful concept. What comes out of that? You get survivalism. It speaks to today. You get capital G, which either talks about George Bush or greed or whatever have you. Not. You, you get all of this wonderful stuff and it ends once again on absolute just decimation. I pushed a button and elected him to office and uh, he pushed a button and he dropped a bomb. You pushed a button and can watch it on the television. Those motherfuckers didn't last too long. Huh, huh, I'm sick of hearing about the has and the have-nots. Have some personal accountability. The biggest problem with the way that we've been doing things is The more we let you have, the less that I'll be keeping for me I mean, it's him playing with old forms, giving an idea, and then he goes away. But he doesn't. He puts out that ambient stuff. Ghosts, one through, I want to say, four at the time. And uh, this year, I think we got five and six with Together and Locust. They get named. That ambient stuff, that literally is all the material from the fragile that people were skipping over. But he gives that to people as the content. And that's the content that David Fisher, if you asked me to track the ghosts, I couldn't because they're just numbered. Mm-hmm. And Fincher hears that, he's like, son, you can be, you could score a film. Reznor has no concepts. He says, sure, why not? And then he does another one. That's <laughs> another oh, one. And then he does Let me ask you a question. Let me ask yeah. you a question. I've been waiting to ask you this entire episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of Little Nas X the uh, the uh, creator of Old Town Road yeah. sampling 34 on Ghost One. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> if you. It's, it's ambient music, but here's the thing. They're little, I swear to God, I could hear the beginnings of song possibilities, just thinking about the way he thinks about music, that he just didn't have time to explore lyrics to go with. It makes perfect sense. There's so much 
to borrow from there if you wanted to go. I mean, he borrows from tracks to build off other uh, soundtracks. Uh, if, if you listen to Watchmen, there are little uh, snippets of the Ghosts project that come flipping out and get further explored. They just didn't, he didn't want to write a story, but he wrote one sonically. So later on, others could push them in. It's what Fincher did. He, he didn't have any music. Ever, if you, if, when you do soundtracks to movies, there's usually things that they slip in there before they actually hire somebody to go and do it. So Fincher was just putting ghosts in there to give mood. And then he said, why wouldn't we just go and, and have Reznor go and do actual music for us? Uh, I mentioned Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> if you go back to the Young Guns 2 thing, they, they slipped in uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, which would make no sense in that movie. And he said, can we put that in there? I was like, why? It would be stupid. So he writes a song um, uh, uh, shot down in a Something of Glory. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's very Bon Jovi-esque. And he makes a song. It's what Reznor did. He said, okay, I'm just going to listen to the mood you brought about and I'm going to write you material, but you're going to tell the story. It's, 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 it's the period for me where you can begin to him literally pushing out. If by the end of the downward spiral, he felt utterly and totally alone. It's in the 2000s where he begins to look for a collaborative mate of some kind. He finds it in Atticus Ross, uh, who becomes an official member of the band I forget when exactly, but, you know, he's been working with them and such, but he finds connection with a like-minded fella who can actually help him craft new music and helps blow up his sonic landscapes, which is why if you go into, I'm trying to remember which uh, EP it was. He released three EPs alone uh, from 2016 to 2020, one of which was Bad Witch, but it's, tracked as an album sure why not one of those Atticus Ross says dude you you know how to play um you know how to play saxophone why have you never dropped a sax part in there <laughs> and he's like because it would be stupid and then he says really because it wasn't stupid for uh you know for Bowie when he went and did all that material and he's like all right so he picks up his saxophone again it sounds crazy but what's it your favorite sax track What's, What's the your favorite track with the saxophone on it? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's the, it's only one track. Uh, and I'm trying to remember which one. Is it God Break Down the Door? Uh, it might be. I can hear the I can hear the song, and I'm trying to hear remember the title because I want to say it's off Bad Witch now that I think about it. Yep. Uh, I, I think it's God Break Down the Door. Okay. That's the only one that has the uh, this, the the uh, uh, blah, 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 um, the sax on it. I'm trying to, to check for me, make sure I'm not getting this wrong. Yeah, it, that's right. Um, I don't know if he's ever used that in there, but I mean, yeah, he throws it in there. And it's, it is good. It is. I mean, if you ever... Um
Let's just really start throwing up, you know, bands that have nothing to do with Nine Inch Nails, but kind of works. If you ever listen to Volbeat or Volbeat, you know, they bring in that, you know, weird rockabilly metal sound. And uh, there's a, a song called Die to Live. And it really incorporates these discordant, um, discordant songs that don't belong together. And they sound amazing. And, you know, I, I've, memory serves, I want to say they're Danish, which sure, why not? I mean, because yeah. we're too repressive out here. But you, yeah, you get a little bit European and you can start bringing in all sorts of wild things and they sound amazing. Uh, bringing saxophone into Nine Inch Nails, yeah. And you still get shit mirror and, you know, you get uh, instrumental like play the goddamn part and whatnot. But it's listening to like him still at probably 53, 50. When, was, when, when did Bad Witch come out? Uh, 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. something like that. 2018. He's like 53 years old and he's still bringing in new things into his music. He has not congealed and he doesn't want to, which is good because who wants to be bored? especially in your fifties, which I'm not. And God knows, I hope I get there. Um, you know what? The one that people will sleep on is hesitation marks mm-hmm. because it's a quiet record, uh, which, you know, you can't see me air quoting that, but yeah, I mean, it's a quiet nine inch nails record. Uh, it's actually one of the most sonically consistent of all of the record of all the albums that they put out. And what I would say is, is that if you wanted to hear what a cohesive nine inch nails thought project or a sonic project would be hesitation marks would be one I would recommend. I'm not saying you're going to love it. Um, it sounds perfectly fine. And I don't necessarily think people would be expecting. I mean, if you listen to it, you'd say, Oh, come back haunted. That sounds like nine inch nails. Um, certainly duh, like everything that sounds like nine inch nails, but what's the rest of this? And it's still him. It just, significantly different than everything else. Joe, as we wrap up here, um, I want to get Andrew and I's final thoughts on the 2000s material. Andrew can give his high point, then I can give my high point, and then we'll slip into recommendations after some final thoughts. So, Andrew, you want to go real quick? What's your high point in the 2000s material? Um, Yeah, you know, and I guess, honestly, this is kind of where my final thoughts on the band are as well. Um, You know, it's interesting. uh, you glad you brought up presentation marks because that's honestly that was released in 2013 and that's roughly around the time i started to become a music fan and um you know and came back haunted that was the big single off that record and um i, I remember hearing that all over the radio and when i first heard that 
I'm sure closer as well. I hated Nine Inch Nails when I first heard them, to be quite frank. I, I hated them because I didn't like electronic music. Um, it was just not something I'm into. I'm still not really into full on. I'm not into dance music at all. Euro dance in the night stuff's horrible. Uh, you know, electronic music in general. Yes, I there's def- I see a lot of merit in it now. It's just it's still something I don't listen to. But I, I hated it back then. Anything that had any kind of music that touched that, I didn't want. And obviously, Nine Inch Nails uh, was kind of a face of that to me. So I'm like, screw this. Uh, but eventually, it came back haunting on me, um, as did Closer. And eventually, I listened to Downward Spiral. And that really broke that down for me. I, uh, you know, that and I, to a lesser extent, Hot Fuss by The Killers, an album I know Michael just loves. Um, but, you know, I, you know, like that, 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 that stuff kind of, not fully cured it for me, but you know, I'm able to go back and listen to stuff like ministry. You know, my girlfriend, you know, we've been mentioning electronic rock this entire time. You know, we haven't brought up KMFDM yet, which I'm surprised I haven't brought them them up yet. But you know, they they honestly were doing that before nine inch nails, to be quite frank. So um, you know, I was able to get into them easier. So, you know, not hesitation marks, I suppose, in a way, you know, more specifically came back haunted, uh, kind of helped me break it down. I, I know that's a record. It's an, I know I don't hear a lot of people talk about that record nowadays. I imagine it's not a fan favorite at this point, but uh, I guess that song in particular has a soft spot in my heart. Um, but if we're talking post thousand material, yeah, with teeth, it's, it's easily the highlight. That's not even a question. I, I love that record a lot. Yeah. Getting smaller. If I were to highlight any any track off there, it would be the one I would. I love that track. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. All right. I'll, I'll give my breakdown now. For me, the highlight was year zero just for <laughs> the amount of cool stuff the band did to interact with their fans on that. I mean, what band makes like a alternate reality game to market their album i just think that's so cool and then the album on top of it is not even bad it's actually fantastic i love the post-apocalyptic theme centered around it it kind of gives me flashbacks to the downward spiral and the way that uh resner is able to create a narrative um i love the overall sound of that uh that album kind of dark ambient um with some crushing high points um that for me kind of put this band on as like one of the greats and one of those bands that like deserves to be in the rock and roll hall of fame, which uh, is the last thing I'll bring up because Joe's talking about how the, or the 2000s material Trent is trying to find a musical collaborator. And I think the coolest thing Trent did in his acceptance speech was thank all the hired guns he had over the years to help him put all of those records together. And I think that really goes to show his character development going from the downward spiral to now the most recent being like the, the new ghost albums and bad witch shows the kind of person that Trent developed into as like not only a, uh, an artist, but a, uh, a memorable figure in the rock music community. Joe, what's your final thoughts uh, on Nine Inch Nails? What did they do to change your life? And give a starting point for people. Um, to, if they're to dive in with no, re- no idea what this band sounds like, what's, where, where do you jump off? I think, the two, I think this moment right now in time, it's amazing. You, you, you hit the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, and it couldn't have been more appropriate because of the pandemic. Uh, there is so much anger and rage and confused emotions and 
messed up feelings right now, time is perfect to visit Nine Inch Nails because we are now all Trent Reznor of youth. And this is music to really explore your own emotions. They may come out angry at first, but they will come out as you go through the corpus. I would start at the beginning. There's no real, I mean, because it is a journey. I mean, is if it if it's not a cohesive um, thought project, maybe it certainly is the journey of one human being's emotions into finding maybe peace, either through marriage, and I think it's five kids, or with Atticus Ross. So for me, you start at the beginning and you go and just explore an emotional, just I mean, it's it's an adventure, man. I mean, you don't have to know all that context and all that history or lived through it all you have to do is be willing to and i think we're here to be empathetic with a human being and as he gets better i tend to think because i I mean when you invited me to do this i was thrilled because it gave me an excuse to revisit all this stuff and i tended to find that back when i was 13 14 15 just like i am now when i'm 44 years old he made me remember how to feel better but it wasn't before going down the spiral and coming out i mean you know if you saw uh, shawshank redemption you got to go and travel through a river of shit to come out the other side i'm not sure if there's a better metaphor for 2020 than that and <laughs> trent Reznor wrote one more soundtrack for 2020 and it was his entire corpus i think you can go and use him use his material and make it generative for Pete, for you all. I mean, God knows there was anger. There was sadness. There was quiet moments. There was moments where we needed to scream and it's all there. You can go and start where you want. You can stop where you want. Andrew was totally right, by the way. I, you, and as were you with look, uh, with where you were looking at things between with, with teeth and with year zero and uh, which Nicole, there's good stuff there, but go to the, go to some of that early stuff and then arrive at it. It'll take a little bit, but that's fine. The, the best journey is take a few minutes. I think that's a good quote to end on. Now we can slip into recommendations. And as always, we let the guests go first. If we can have Ben rejoin, if you're still there, Ben, maybe you can play our songs for us live since we haven't really listened to some music together. Um, if he's there, I don't know. But uh, Joe, what what is your recommendation for us today? Uh, you know what? I mean, it's Reznor and I wanted, I've been looking at my thoughts and I, and I, I know I, I, I thought about like, you know, David Bowie, because you know, it's David Bowie. You don't need a recommendation for me. Just pick up David Bowie, listen to all the David Bowie. Um, just, I mean, his last record or album after he died, uh, black star, you should listen to, uh, he and Reznor collaborated on a song. This is going to sound like I'm making a message and maybe I am, but I'm afraid of Americans is a wonderful track that speaks more to today than it did back then in the 90s, which (laughs) that's transcendent music. We've already talked about ministry. Uh, If you haven't, you should um, go and just pick up where everybody seems to pick up. Psalm 69 from Just One Fix to NWO. Ministry has so many feels, but that one really encapsulates it. Um, if you need one, if you just need one that you want to hear some proto, uh, you mentioned Katie, I'm already, but Gary Newman, which that's not exactly a choice pick right now, but just listen to Cars. 
you're going to feel a little bit of what maybe Reznor was. I know he mentions the Pesh mode a lot. I can feel that as well. But uh, I get three picks, so that's my three picks. Uh, yeah, you go with that. Go pick up some Bowie. Go pick up some Ministry. Uh, go pick up a very, very, very choice bit of Gary Newman and uh, have yourself a fine Sunday. Andrew, you're all game. All right. Well, one thing I will say about ministry, if you ever want a good laugh, go read up how uh, Jesus built my hot water was recorded. Um, <laughs> just a bunch of shenanigans with the butthole surfers. That's all yep. I'll say there. Um, yeah. Um, I will recommend, because I'm a punk guy, so I'm going to go just go with a punk band. Uh, they're called The Gins. I know I say this every week at this point, but it's another great pick. My significant other recommended to me. Um, uh, they're, they're, I don't know when they formed. I really don't know much about the band. Um, all I know is they're a bunch of guys to make full music. Really, what else do you need? Um, the song that I'm going to recommend, uh, the one that really stood out to me was I Can't Let My Lover Go. It's a great single. I think it's really good. It has an awesome guitar solo with a really cool guitar tone i mean if you really just want some solid music i they're great so let's hear a little bit of the gins Sweet. So my recommendation is out of left field for today, mostly because you probably watched. I'm filming this in a car because uh, I'm on my way to Texas on a road trip. And so far, the song that me and Teresa, who you'll know from the Halloween episode, have listened to uh, at least two, three times already has been uh, Peace Train by Cat Stevens. And this may be the opposite of everything Joe stands for, but uh, I'm, I'm really getting into Cat Stevens recently. <laughs> and, no it, you problem know, with Cat Stevens, man. No problem with Cat Stevens, man. 
So yeah, that that's that's what I gotta uh, put on you in the midst of all this dark music. If you need a a palate cleanser, if you need something to bring you, yourself up a little bit, go ahead and listen to Peace Train. Now I've been crying lately, thinking about the world as it is. Why must we go home hating? Why can't we live in bliss? Cause out on the edge of darkness, there rides a peace train. Y'all should listen. I mean, you want to listen to some Weezer? That's fine too. I mean, whatever gets you, whatever gets you through the day. There's not, there is not a thing wrong with Cat Stevens, no matter how he wants to call himself. No, you, man, that that's that's a fine choice. I got some lovely '80s rock bands. If you'd like to really, really, really have like you know a Drano for your soul, or you know diarrhea of your brain, you'll bust well, that band well, all the way to Texas. You're on, man. Because mm-hmm. this, this was a this was a fun episode for for sure. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I'll do it anytime. You you guys want to do a Foo Fighters out thing? I'm going shave a mustache into my face and yeah, hell yeah. No, uh, no, it's, it's it's always a pleasure. I love talking about this stuff, especially since I mean, I I'm it blows my mind that this stuff is still hitting you all because I mean, it's hard. I don't know if we're still on for tape or whatnot, but I mean, yeah, it's, this is old grandpa rock now. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. damn, I am getting so old, but you're not, you're good. So that's fine. As long as, uh, as long as you all stay young, listening to this crap, we, it lives on forever. Thanks Joe. Hey, Andrew, we'll conclude this episode with the thing we say at the end of every episode, which is good, good night, night Detroit. What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have